Hello and welcome to Equine Voices Podcast. My name is Ronnie, an intuitive equine communicator. I hope you enjoy this episode and thank you for listening. Hello, my name is Ronnie from Equine Voices and I'm so excited to be introducing shortly Dr. Susan Fay. And she's going to be talking about her lovely book, which I got here called Sacred Spaces, and actually telling us about her life, how she got into horses. So I'll bring her in now and she can introduce herself and hopefully we'll just have a nice chat and we'll see where it goes. Hi Susie, thank you so much for agreeing to come on. Would you like to introduce yourself, tell people who you are and what it is you do now and how you got to where you are today? That's a big question. It is a big question. For everyone that doesn't know me, I'm Dr. Susan Fay and I love horses. That's the bottom line of everything in my life. From the moment I first entered this world, I think I was thinking about horses and how I was going to make them part of my life. And just looking back where I am now, I finally get to do that thing. At 62 years old, I'm actually living my dream. And that's using my knowledge from the past and all of my experiences with horses to now immerse myself in that world and hopefully make people's lives better and horses' lives better. And so that's my goal right now in my life. And, you know, it's good that I'm as old as I am because I don't have all those other needs like need for fame or glory or all this other thing. I can just devote my whole life to passing down information and knowledge that I've learned over a lifetime. And you kind of talked about where did I start? I started a long time ago like I said horses had always been in my mind from the first time I can remember and I would ask my my parents when I was a little tiny kid and just learned to talk what are those strings on the saddle for and of course my parents knew nothing at all about horses so they were totally useless in my life I'm like if we get to choose our parents why did I choose the ones that didn't know anything about horses it didn't make any sense but going along I bugged them long enough in my younger days to where my dad, when I was about nine years old, they finally got me a horse. And back in those days, in the early 60s, we didn't have a whole lot of information out there on horses. And everybody was pretty naive. My parents luckily bought me a horse that was about 30 years old. It had been the horse for every kid in the valley. So he just got passed on to me. And by the time he made it to me, I think he was like, oh, I'm living the dream. Here's another one. You know, and, and I, here I go. And I, I really just have a walk now. That's, that's my one remaining gate is a walk, which was really good for a kid because you're not going to get in a whole lot of trouble there. So I remember him coming to my house the first time and the guy delivered him. And this was back in the days where we didn't have horse trailers. They just put him in the back of your pickup truck with a stake bed around the top and you just drove down the road with your horse. It's horrifying to think of that now. Oh my gosh, I don't even know how you could control one of those old trucks with a horse moving around in the back of it and feel safe at all. But anyway, he came with the truck, backed it up to a big bank so the horse could walk out. And, and he goes, here you go, little girl. Here's the saddle. He put it on for me. He put me in the saddle. He goes, okay, now pull on this rein to go that way, pull on that way to go that way and pull back to stop and say, well, and he left like you're good that's horrifying now if you think about it and, and my parents are like yeah I gotta go play with the horse now what 
Oh my goodness. Well, and, and he was 30, wow, 30 years old. I was nine years old at the time. So we lived in a valley where there weren't a whole lot of people. So I had a lot of room to ride and they didn't fence in properties back then. It was called open range. So you could just ride for hours and hours through the mountains, through the valleys with no gates to open or anything like that. And I spent kind of my early childhood and the other bad thing, riding by yourself out there with no other people. (laughs) What, what could go wrong with that? Right. That was my early life, just riding horses in the mountains and just a lot of quiet time. And I realized that the quiet time is now the basis for just about everything I do, is going back to the quiet time and observing. I would ride my horse. I would observe nature. I would look at things in detail. And it it led me to this place where I had just amazing observational skills. I went by that yesterday. I didn't notice this. Oh, today it's different. And I didn't realize that that skill was one that was going to be very good for me in my my career path, which fast forward a little bit. I graduate from high school and I don't know what to do. And I just head to Florida for a few years and then I decide to go to college. And my parents all this time always said, can't possibly make a living with horses. You've got to choose a realistic life path. That's not realistic. You know, if I couldn't go into horses and becoming a vet back then wasn't a big option for women. There weren't a whole lot of women mentors that I could look toward as far as that as a career path. Even in high school, when I graduated, I remember the counselor saying, oh, you know, women don't do those kind of jobs. Mm. So it was really discouraging. And what I ended up choosing was to go into environmental science. And it was really kind of a new field back then. They really didn't even call it environmental science back then. They called it land use. So I got my first degree in land use and then worked for an environmental company. It was a lot of fun because I got to be in nature. I got to use all those observational skills that I learned as a little kid, noticing a minute change in the environment and how it affected everything going on. And so I I spent some time doing that. But of course, horses are always still in my life. I'm riding, I'm taking lessons, I'm doing these things, but it's kind of the old way of doing horses. If they they don't do what you say, make them do it. Just make them do it. And that was pretty much how things were back in the old days, I guess you'd say. But, you know, just having that environmental background, I think it, it made me see things as a system. Everything is a system. And when you mess up one little thing in the system, it affects the whole entire ecosystem, right? And so we can think of that in terms of horses or people or anything. We're all ecosystems. And we can get off a little bit, and depending on what the environment is doing to us, our surroundings. So anyway, I'm in the environmental field. It wasn't as much fun as I thought because it gets into the politics and... It was just stressful, really stressful kind of work because you would see the environment getting destroyed and you couldn't do anything about it. My thought was, we don't need to save everything, but how can we as humans live in this environment and make it as pristine as we can and cause the least amount of impact, but knowing that humans have to still survive. And so that was kind of my framework with that. Somewhere along the line, I met a guy and we ended up getting married and He decided to go to medical school, but I 
I'm just like, well, wow. have to go to the big city for medical school. And what am I going to do during that time? And I told him, if I'm going to sacrifice those four years of, of my life, then at the end of it, we're going to live on a ranch and I'm going to have horses on the ranch. He, he agreed to that one. Okay. Yes. All right. I got the plan. The four-year plan is I'll deal with living in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in the big city for four years. And as in exchange, I'll get to have the ranch of my dreams at the end of this time. That's a pretty good deal. Yes. I, I thought it was. It was pretty horrible when you think of if you went from a real rural upbringing in the life to be smack dab in the middle of one of the biggest cities in the country. And it was tough. And it, that's when I saw people didn't notice nature. They didn't notice details. And I was thinking, how can you not notice that those trees along the river are really beautiful now in the fall with the change in colors? And they go, there's trees along the river? Like, you never notice the trees along the river? It was that that I realized, wow, some people do not pay attention to these little things and do not appreciate those amazing things in nature. And again, this is going to go forward into how I deal with horses too. So anyway, I suffered for four years in Philly and then we moved to Northwestern Colorado. And that's when I had the ranch. That's the start of my book and speaking about my experiences there with, with the horses and starting to get back into nature in a big way. And again, using those observational skills, but now in terms of the horses and noticing changes in them, noticing how their environment affected them, noticing how my way that I trained them affected them. And, you know, through that journey, we've all been through a long journey. Uh, my journey with horses at that point, I was raising Morgan horses. I had a lot of foals. I was going to learn natural horsemanship. And in that pursuit, I was finding that most of the natural horsemanship people were men. And they were telling me I needed to be different. I needed to have more authority. I needed to present myself in different ways. In fact, I had to be unnatural for myself in order to be a natural horsemanship trainer. And I thought, that's so weird. Why can't I be me and still do this? So I went to a lot of clinics and I read everything and I practiced everything I could on my horses that I had. And I just felt like, wow, what's out there is not meeting the needs for how I want to train horses and how I want to have a relationship with them. I started getting away from, you know, I still did some of the natural horsemanship, but the more I worked on the relationship part of my time with the horses, the less I needed to do, really do a whole lot of physical stuff. The physical training became really minute as I established my relationships with the horses. And I'm living out at a ranch that's in the middle of nowhere again. And I've got all my time every day is just hanging out with 20 horses. And so I'm watching them. I'm becoming part of the herd. Again, my observational skills. What do I do that changes these horses? How do they react to me as a human being in their world, not them in my world? And I think that was when I really started to consider, is our training of the horses suiting them or is it causing them more problems? And 
I really started to look into this and we were supposed to sell horses. My husband's big idea was we're going to sell horses. And one of the ways to get exposure was to show your own horses, right? And, and have people see them. And, and I would be showing and I was a nervous wreck. I was good at home. I was a nervous wreck when I was showing the horses. And so, of course, they didn't do well and neither did I. So it sent me down another path of looking at the mental part of writing the emotional part of writing. How can I address that? Because it wasn't the horse's fault. It was my fault. I was failing them in a lot of ways. And it took me down that other path of sports psychology and spirituality and neuroscience, all these quantum physics. It took me all these different places and I started studying all these different things. And as I began to change myself, I realized massive changes in my horses. Like, wow, there's something to this. So again, fast forward and my husband decides to leave and, and I'm thinking, okay, now my career path that I thought I was on is now disrupted again. What am I going to do? And I thought, I'll go to school and I'll find more information about these topics that I've just begun to explore on the ranch. And that's what took me in that direction. And I, I don't want to keep just talking. I was going to say before when we were talking, you wanted to, me to kind of explain a little bit. And I think one of the first stories in my book is about really the realization that there's something beyond what we've been told as far as horses and what possibilities may exist for us with them as far as connection and communication and just a joint ability to live together and understand each other and support each other and the backs that we can. And I don't want to ruin the book, but I'll just talk a little bit about the, the first story because once you read it and maybe now as I talk about it and then you read it, it'll make more impact on you. But this was a, a situation where it was really, really cold that night and I had all the horses and I fed all the horses that evening. It was so bitter cold. And I just went in and like, oh I'm done. I just gotta get in the house and get warm. And as soon as I came in the house, I get a call from my neighbor. And I, when I'm talking neighbor, it's like half a mile away. It's a, it's a long distance away. But she had been driving home and we lived down the same dirt road. And, and she says, there's a horse stuck in the cattle guard. It's one of your horses. And if you don't know the cattle guards in the West, they have a, a grate that goes over the road so that that can drive over the opening and you don't have to have a gate and get in and out. And it's this grate and then underneath this open area. So it discourages animals from trying to walk over it because it, it's, it's far enough apart on those grates that they don't want to put their feet in there. But for whatever reason, this horse had decided to try to go across the cattle guard and then he got stuck in there in the grates. And I was devastated. I had friends that worked with the wild horses and there were cattle guards out on the range and they would fall through the cattle guard and then they never got out. And there's almost no way you can get them out once they get in there. So I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to go deal with this tonight. It's not going to be fun. And I went down and here's the horse in the cattle guard. 
And he was just standing there. And he didn't seem all that concerned. He hadn't tried to fight his way out, which was a good thing because they'll usually break their legs if they try to do that. So he was just standing there. But again, we're in the middle of nowhere. There's almost no way you can get a horse out of that as a human. Even with your equipment, you might be able to do some things. But it's like, this is hopeless. It's completely hopeless. I don't want to see what happens. So I sent the neighbor off to find the owner of the horse, which luckily wasn't one of my horses, but it was the neighbor's horse that had gotten in there. And she went off to get him. And she says, I'll have to bring the gun because we can't get the bat out. We won't have any other way to deal with this problem. I'll just have him bring his gun down and hit. I'll take care of it. And it's like, I don't want to see that. I really don't want to see that. So I'm down there waiting, and it's going to be at least probably half an hour before she gets to him and back. And I'm just standing with the horse. And that was the first time I really thought, okay, in my sports psychology studies and a lot of other things, we did a lot of visualization. And I thought, what if I could visualize and what if this horse could understand mental pictures? and be able to get out. I could show him in my mind how to do it. And maybe perhaps he could do it. And I just sat there and I just thought about it. Like if he did this and if he did that, you could get yourself out. And I thought, you know, whatever, this this last ditch effort. And to my amazement, the horse did exactly what I pictured. And he was able to jump out of the cattle guard the only way that would possibly get him out safe. And he jumped out. And I was thinking, you've got to be kidding. How could he have done that? And I stood there and I thought, oh, my gosh, my life is taking another direction altogether now because of what just happened. And when the neighbors came uh, down, I know they were expecting to be dealing with a whole different scenario than what they found. And they did not say a single thing like what weird magical thing happened down here. And we're not ever going to talk about this because it makes no sense to us. And so no words were ever spoken again about that incident. But I knew what it was. And that horse knew what it was. And. That's why I'm like, I have to find out more about how this works, why it works, why it worked for me that day. I need to know more. And that's really what took me down that place of psychology, neuroscience, energy, all of those places that aren't normal places people were going back then. And I thought, you know what? So I don't look like a kook out there. I need to have science behind why that worked. And that's where I I just dedicated the next maybe six years or so of my life to like, I've got to have an answer for this. Really, the end product was the book. I wanted to make sure that it wasn't actually just some weird magical skill set that I had acquired somewhere out in the middle of nowhere. I wanted to make sure it could be done by anybody else, that I could tell them how to do it and they could replicate that and have the same kind of experiences. And as I went through like kind of practicing that on those people that would allow me to 
indulge me in my weird place that I was at. And I would say, do this, and then it would work. They're like, yeah, I don't know. And it's like, just give it a try. Just give it a try. And then they would go, oh my gosh, it works. And so that's kind of my, in a nutshell, what brought me to where I'm at now, why I felt it was so important to write a book that was very simple for people to read and to understand the concepts as much as they could, but actually be able to go out there and do them knowing that this is not just silly, make-believe stuff. This is for real. And it will change your entire life with your horse. Wow. Sorry, Susie. That is some nutshell. I think it's more like a coconut. <laughs> not a nutshell. Wow. So when I'm interviewing people, oh, chat, I like to call it a chat. I try and be really quiet and still and, and try and not cough and try and not swallow because I want everybody to hear the person speaking. And I was doing that tonight, but there was just this be still, be still, because this lady needs to be heard. Her voice, her message needs to be heard. And when you was talking about, about the horse that went through the cattle grid, so we have them in the UK too, that happened because what you're learning needs to be taught. The skill that you're talking about that everybody possesses needs to be taught because it's not just about the horses it's the whole thing it's about the environment it's about the people's lives but as horse people we tend to look after our horses better than we look after ourselves if our horses need something we'll do it if we need it we'll wait until it's like you really need this now and that's not what the universe wants it's about living in harmony like you said and doing the best that you can, but seeing what's there and seeing what's not there. So for me, that was a catalyst because you saw that and you felt that in that way and you experimented with that thought because that's what you are teaching others to do. Wow. <laughs> that's all I can say is wow. Um, so the bit in the book, I'll just explain again that I've got Dr. Susan Facebook Sacred Spaces. And I recently bought it and I've been honest with, with Susie. I haven't read it yet, but it's not because I don't want to. And I didn't buy it because we're doing this interview. It was on my Amazon wish list for like months. <laughs> um, and I read the first bit and that's, that stuck in my mind when you was lying in bed you was thinking, where is my life going? And you are not. How old are you again? Just remind me. I am 62. I have to, well, I to circle that. And I thought, there's no way you look 62. The essence of you is beaming out of out, out of you I just see this beautiful beautiful energy emanating from you and it's so I, I can't explain it. it's so beautiful it's so warm and so endearing but also approachable I mean I spoke to you the other night for five minutes to see how the connection would go and you just made me feel so so relaxed so when I say equal, because you don't know me, I asked you to do this and you just said yes, which was lovely. So I've forgotten where I'm going with this now. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is as you speak this, it's what comes from you, your words, that your energy, it just shines out of you and it's so beautiful and so childlike at times as well. Like you've got such a beautiful, beautiful smile and a beautiful laugh. Um, it's very, very endearing. However, I'm getting told now 
but yes, there's another side to Susie. There's a firmer side and she doesn't take prisoners when needed. <laughs> I'm just going to put a few comments because some people have kindly joined. So this is Jane and she says she's read your book and super read. Thank you. Thanks, Jane. Thank you. And so Anne begs having to change to help horses. So you may know some of these people. I, I know Anne. Yeah. Uh, hi Anne, welcome. And this is a dear friend of mine. She lives in she lives in Texas. So Martha, she's another beautiful soul. Hi Martha. And so she's just, she's just saying hi. You guys are bringing tears to my eyes. Get choked up or something. But no, you get choked up if you want to, girl. You go for it. This is about being authentic and. Like I said, you don't know me. I messaged you a while ago and I know it's because you don't use Facebook, but you kindly emailed me and that was just so humbling and so nice that somebody did that. But I'm a great believer in synchronicities and things happen when they're meant to. So if at first you don't succeed, try and try again. So what I said about you wasn't because I'm talking to you now. This is genuine from my heart and I feel that and it's lovely. So let's get back to, so when you was in your bed and you were thinking, where am I going with my life? Because I know you mentioned that a friend had said you need to get a nine to five job. I'll let you take the story from here. You didn't see my face grimace because I've had those jobs. And I think what I want other people to know, it's like sometimes in your soul, you know what you were supposed to do. And when it's not happening, and you go, wow, is that all there is? Is that I'm not going to get to express this part of my spirit or my soul for whatever it came here to do. And when people would say those things about just get a real job, Susie, just get a real job. Quit messing around with all this silly stuff that you do and get a real job. And it's like, oh my gosh, if if anybody's ever watched a movie, it's called The Gods Must Be Crazy. And it was probably around 1980s, early 80s that this movie came out. And it's about a Aborigines guy in the desert and he finds this bottle and it thinks it's from God. Somebody threw it out of an airplane. It's a Coke bottle. And they, they use this for all these different things. But fast forwarding at one point in either the first movie or the second one they did, he was put in jail. And he thought, I'm going to die because I can't live in this place. And it's kind of when I think about not being able to express our sole purpose in our life and, and be able to find that, it is, it's almost like a part of us dies. And I was feeling myself slowly going to that place of, Wow, my soul is dying. My ambition is dying. I'm not going to be able to do what I can do in this lifetime. And I'm 60 some years old now. And who's going to hire me for who's going to hire me, first of all, for a real job? And then what are my other options? There aren't a whole lot. It's like, wow, there was a crossroads that had to come where do you believe in what you do enough? to go forward with it, despite all the rejection that you've experienced in your life related to the work you're doing, can you go through and say, I don't care, I'm going to die trying. It's like, I'm just going to pick up one more time and experience one more rejection. And, and sooner or later, 
somebody will see the value in this because I truly believe in the value of this work. Otherwise, I wouldn't have wasted a whole lot of my time. But yeah, I just want to speak to the people who are kind of in that same space. And it's like your goals, your soul, you can feel what you want to do. And you know it. And just find the courage to just say, yes, I can still do it. Despite what society says about us, whether it's you're not the right age or your hair color is not the right thing or you're too short or you're not enough. I kept going, wow, I just keep hitting this you're not enough place. And it's like, I can't change who I am. And guess what? When I walk in with a horse, it never says to me, you're not enough. It says, I enjoy my time with you. And that's kind of the thing. Like, it doesn't matter what your goal is, if it's horses or whatever, you can get to your goal. And if your goal is, I want a different type of relationship with my horse and I'm not finding the people that can help me get there, just keep looking. Because there is going to be somebody that can help you. Because there is a whole different world out there as far as connection and communication with horses that are not widely known or encouraged a lot of times. So I don't know if that answered your question in a really long roundabout way. No, it it did. We've got some more comments. So I'm just going to... uh, So this is from, from Esther. So is this a lady that you know? Yes, oh, Esther. She is the most beautiful place in Colorado next to the Mount Princeton hot spring. I mean, the mountain is just breathtaking. And she's a doll. Thank you, Esther. And we've got a message from Terry. Terry. Hi, Terry. Said they're all your friends. <laughs> a wonderful soul. She has a horse motel in Kansas, and she gets to see all sorts of people come through with their horses. Wow. So I was lucky to come to Colorado a few years ago. If I'd known you then, I would have called by for a cup of coffee. <laughs> well, for sure. I went out on my own and I booked a few little spaces with Airbnb and I met some amazing people. And it was my the first time to the States. And it was just amazing. And, and I stayed at a place called the Happy Dog Ranch, Bernadette's. And I did a little bit exploring there and I went to see a few places. Oh, I loved it. And the, and the people I met and stayed with, I've become friends. I even had strangers. I was looking for somewhere to stay in one area and this was synchronicities. And a friend that I know has a friend in Wyoming and said, you know, you might better stay there. And her name was Rachel. So I messaged her. We'd never met. And she says, you can stay. I said, but you don't know me. She says, well, I will know you. And I stayed there and she took me for a ride on her horse. Now, I'd only just got back on my own horse through my own insecurities and, and other things. So I literally, when I rode my horse, it was just around the field. It was on and off. But to me, I'd won the lottery. I was just, um, wow. So when I got to uh, to Rachel, she took me for a ride on one of her, she does barrel racing. And we went for a two-hour ride. And I was like, the, you know, the film, The Titanic, where she's got her arms out. I was like, oh, my God. It was stuff that dreams are made of. And and I still get excited about it. And that was three years ago. And I was hoping to go back a bit because of how things have been. So yeah. 
hopefully next year. So I know you do clinics and you travel a little bit, but how does that work? Do you advertise that or is it just word of mouth? Here's one of the things that I kind of felt at the very beginning. I had some business coaches and they would always go, you have to do it this way and you have to do these things and you have to do this. And all the time, I just felt like I was going to throw up. I don't, it didn't feel right. And it just felt heavy and horrible. And I finally told one, it's like, no, I think I just would be better off doing this word of mouth because all this other stuff doesn't feel congruent with me. And, and so she pretty much said, well, good luck with that, sweetheart. In a kind of sarcastic way, because I guess I wasn't going to pay her for it. So I really made that determination for it to be real. I want it to be real. And I don't want to feel like I've got to put on some special airs or I have to be a certain way or or say fancy words to get people to buy into the the program, right? I would rather them experience the program, experience me, experience what happens with their horses, and then make a decision on their own if it was right for them or not. I am the world's worst at going, you know, taught by these business coaches, you reel them in, get them interested, and then reel them in for the package. You know, like give them the package numbers. And I'm like, I don't want to make them do a package. They can come and do whatever they want, whenever they want to. And when people say, well, when should my next session be? I go, you tell me. You go play with these things I've given you, and then you tell me when you want something more. Okay, I'm not going to dictate that for you. And part of what my teaching is, is both with horses, if I'm training them or with people, I want them to figure it out on their own. I want to give them some fundamental things to work from and then send them out and figure it out on your own because then you will be empowered. Then you will know you don't need me. I want you to know you don't need me after a certain point that you've got enough information that you get to go out and play with it and do things. And then if you have questions, come back to me. I will help you. I'll guide you along as best I can, but I'm not going to give you all the answers. I will direct you toward the answer. And the same thing with the horses. I'm going to show you how to do this horse. And then I'm going to let you do it on your own. I'm not going to micromanage everything. I'm not going to expect something that can't do. I'm just going to show it to you and I'm going to give you the chance to fail at it. And when you fail, I'm not going to correct you for your failure. I'm going to say, hey, that's not quite it. Keep going. You almost got it. Not quite there. Yes, you got it. Thank you. And then they go, oh, wow, I got it. You know, but it wasn't because I micromanaged every little step. And I think it, having gone through school and, and studying psychology and that end of it, I'm really focused on not what's wrong with people, not what's dysfunctional in someone's life. I study something, I hate to use the term positive psychology because it puts it in this kind of weird category, I think. But positive psychology is all about what motivates people, what causes people to achieve their highest potential. What are these factors that we can do to not discourage people and focus on their shortcomings, but say, hey, here's how you can achieve more. And that's where I come from that basis as far as my work with people or my work with animals. I'm going to look at what you do really well, not what you do well. Okay. 
And so people will often say when I'm training a horse, didn't you notice he's doing that thing still? It's like, I don't care because pretty soon he's not going to do that thing. By my not focusing on that problem and focusing on how to help him get beyond that, he's going to achieve it. If I focus on his problem, he'll always have his problem. So it's just a, a real different switch in a lot of the ways we've been taught to train horses or do these things. It's like, oh, correct that behavior right now. If I see a behavior starting to develop, I'm going to address it and redirect it in a different way. And so that there's no punishment to it, but there's a thought. It's like, well, that probably wasn't the best idea. And then go on. Unfortunately, one of the places I'm, I'm sometimes a little bit depressed in my work, if you can call it that, is that the number of horses I see that are really, really troubled because of the training methods have, that have been used on them. And I feel like I'm doing a lot of band-aids. I've developed these ways to help them get rid of emotional problems, trauma, and all that kind of stuff. But I would love that I wouldn't have to do that. That we could train horses in a different way so that they don't develop these problems. And so that's kind of another lane I'm going down. A lot of what I do um, with the training is dependent on how well the person can be together themselves. Like can all of the things I talk about in my book about learning to be present, learning how to breathe correctly, learning how to be more aware and developing these skill sets that are all human skill sets. Those are an integral part of my training of a horse, because if you don't have those skill sets, it's going to be hard to implement the training the way I do it. If you do get to that place where you can implement a lot of those things, you're going to find that the training is very, very simple. You know, I've gotten to 62 years old with horses for the majority of my life, and I haven't had an injury because I've trained a different way. And I'm observing the horse when it first becomes troubled and stopping that from happening and showing them a different way. Here's a different answer. Instead of going and bucking or running off with somebody, here's a different answer to your stress. I'm, I'm really about trying to help the horse figure those things out on their own so they can stand solid in the relationship. One of the things I think about in any relationship, whether it's with other humans or with our animals, is that the best relationships are those where we come, each of us come into the relationship, not needing something from the other, that we are whole in and of ourselves and we can come into that relationship and offer what we have and they can offer what they have but we don't need them to fix something that's missing. So I look at that from the horse perspective and the human perspective and try to get those relationships where, okay, there's not a need-based relationship. It's a whole relationship. It's a pure relationship. So in a, in a nutshell, and you know, it's hard to explain everything you do in a short interview, but that's my philosophy there of what I'm working toward. No, that's absolutely perfect. I understand all of that. And it, it was resonating big time through my own experiences with my own horse and my work. I'm not going to talk about my horse because that would be a whole subject, but she's taught me a lot. It was because of her, I got into animal communication, equine communication. I wanted to fix her. I wanted to fix her uh, and make it all okay. And as I'm saying that, I can feel that motion still there. 
And I still want to fix it. But as you were talking and you said how you teach people that come to your clinics, you want them to to come there. You want to find that place themselves. So you guide them, but you want them to find it because it's about the feel. It's about sometimes they're not seeing in that moment where there's something changes, but you don't know what it is. But that's how you teach a horse too. That's how you teach the horses. As you were talking, it was so funny. I was getting a picture of leading a horse with a rope. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. And it's the same thing. You can lead a person to a skill, but it doesn't mean to say they're going to get it. They have to feel it. They have to come to that conclusion themselves. And sometimes when you're learning something, you go, yeah, yeah, I get that. Especially if you're doing something at school or college or, you know, you go to university, you go, yeah, yeah, I get that. And you do, in your head, you get that. But then there'll be a time when you're doing it and it's almost like, I really get it because I feel it. I know it and understand it there, but I'm getting it here. And that's a whole different perspective. So it was absolutely beautiful how you spoke. It was love. I've got lots of little examples in my own little world. So it's my experience of my own horse. But the last few days, so where she is, she's out 24-7. She's always been out. She's got shelter. For me, um, personally, I wanted a horse that could come and go and be able to move around. And I've had her since she was four and she's now 20. My dear friends where I kept my horse for the last seven years, they moved away to another part of the country. So they took all the horses with them. And I knew it was going to be hard because she's had company and there was two of the horses in another field, but not close by. Obviously, they're my friends too. And that was emotional saying goodbye and watch them go. But I'm lucky enough to still stay at the place where they were because somebody else is going to rent the home. In the meantime, Toots just was very aloof. She let me feed her and everything, but she just wanted to be on her own. And there was worry there and anxiety, but she wasn't running around, but it, she keeps things sort of internally. And then I could feel myself slipping back into the victim mode of not victim as such, but looking for all the things that she's showing me and going, oh God, you know, it's a windy night, it's dark, there's nobody here. These stories were coming fast and furious. And I spend a lot of time with her. I do what I need to do, but I also spend time with her. And I, I invest a lot, as a lot of people do, with, with their animals. And she's not ridden, so my reward is being with her. But I basically felt like I was her, um, not her slave, but she was being a horse. And I was just playing to the victim mode and I lost my temper a little bit and I, I don't lose my temper. And I just said no to, but it was my frustration of what she was feeling. She was reflecting back at me what I was feeling. So it was a bit of both. And I thought, right, I've just got to be this without the emotion. So the next few days I did everything the same, but I just dropped that emotion. And when she looked elsewhere, I said, I see that, but I'm not feeding it. So I just carried on what I was doing. And she got to where she wouldn't even come down. There's like a hard standing area and she wouldn't even come down that she'd be, no, you feed me here. And I'm like, no, if you want to be fed, you come here. That's the deal. You can do whatever you like, but that's where your feed is. And then I'd go about and do my business. And the last three days, she's come right down and she's literally at the gate waiting for me when I get there. So that's all I've changed is the, the draw into the drama 
So it's not saying that she's not feeling that and I'm not seeing what I'm seeing, but I can't pull the emotion with that because it's not doing any good. So I, I literally pulled back and almost like she's somebody else's horse. But the first night I went away, I felt a bit guilty, but I thought, no, I, you know. And the next day I woke up. Now I was a little cross at myself for being angry. And normally that would just play with me for days and I'd be really, really beating myself up. The next day I woke up and it was a little bit of a lift. And I was thinking, that's not normally what happens. <clears throat> and I thought, right, okay, I know what I've got to do. So I recognize and I say, I see you, but I'm not following that. I'm following what we're doing. So just a little thing, yeah. But there was a big change in her attitude and how she behaved. Mm. She thought, okay, I'll come and be part of your little herd. Whereas it was like, no, I just want to feed in there. I want you to go away. And that actually hurt. Not my pride, it hurt me because I was ouch and I thought no I'm not that person she's just been a horse she's just been what she needs to do but I need to do what I need to do but that's as that played out <laughs> yeah I, I work a lot with people because just to your point we have to have emotional fluency I call it emotional fluency and about what can we do to support the horse in a moment or what can we do different and it, it it's like I walk people through okay, each emotion has a different energy attached to it. So we've got to be really careful about having awareness of what emotion we're creating. And then in that space, if we can know what it feels like in our body when we feel a certain emotion, and we can watch then the horse's reaction to that particular energy, that's going to give us a lot of information. And I usually start people out with just a few simple emotions to watch the reaction from the horse. And I have a little thing I call becoming the cookie. So we will stand maybe in a, a big pen or something, and we're going to go through a bunch of different emotions. And I'm going to have the person to their best ability, create this emotion. And all of it is in themselves. I never, ever, ever, ever send energy to a horse or emotions or anything. I keep everything within myself. And I have the person change and then I will go with them in whatever emotion they they choose and then I have them embody it feel it in your body know what that feels like let's watch the horse's reaction to that particular emotion when you have it and we'll see sometimes a horse goes moves away further and go oh that's one of your ones to know like if you want him to come to you probably not be in that emotion right and so we'll play with them until we find the cookie that one emotion or one thing that just draws that horse to you no matter what. It's really funny because you watch that when you get to that emotion, we're over there practicing and each horse is different, of course. And we get to one and let's say that horse wanted safety and comfort, which is pretty much a universal one. And we're creating it in our bodies. We're feeling what it would be like for ourselves to have safety and comfort. And we stand there, we create that energy. And I'm watching the horse and I see the ear turn toward us. He just heard us. He just heard safety and comfort and said, I think I like that. And then you'll just go, wow, okay, that's some information. He likes safety and comfort. So let's just be in this space and not really look at him, not invite him over, not do anything other than create that emotion in our bodies. And pretty soon here he is like, hi, I'm here. I would like some of that safety and comfort. I, I like what you guys are doing. 
we didn't do anything other than change an emotional state and that drew that horse to us. And sometimes no emotion. I think of like driving the old standard cars where you have different gears and you shift your gear and you got a neutral. And the neutral is one where you can be neutral. If you've ever driven a car like that, when you get to the neutral, you can go to any gear you want. You can go forward or reverse or first gear, second, whatever from that neutral place. And neutral for me, a lot of times is the biggest draw for a horse to be in a no emotion state, which is really hard to get to for a lot of people. Because it means you got to slow your brain down. You got to slow yourself down. You got to be present, all those kind of things. But it is a very wonderful place for a lot of horses. So it's kind of my default. If I'm going to teach people just a few okay, start working on these emotions and get them down where you feel you could go back and you could shift for first, second, third, reverse any moment from one to the other. Because at any moment you might go, wow, I'm walking with this horse and all of a sudden he got insecure. Or I could see him doing something. I'm going to do some safety comfort and I'm going to just create it in my body and he's going to go, oh, cool. Cool. Thank you. All right. And so kind of the basis as, as I'm talking so much of my work is based on the energy we're emitting from our body and how it affects everything around us. And we have total control over that. But most of us don't pay attention. So we go willy-nilly around and there's all this weird energy and the horse is like, well, that doesn't make sense. I look at that person and it's a whirlwind of, of stuff going on over there and I don't want to be over there. The more you can separate your emotions, create them very concisely and clearly in your body and in your mind, the steadier your horse is going to become because now you know where you're at and you know where you need to shift to if you have to shift gears at any moment. So there's so many facets to this work, but that's to your point about the horse, what draws her to you, what keeps her away, what do you do to change? And you do the observation and you experiment. And again, like I say, there's no universals in this work. I can't say every horse likes this thing and is drawn to that. No. We play with it. That's where the beauty of this work is. It's not universal. And it makes you have to think. And it makes you have to be very aware of what to do next. And how to support that horse and what he needs to do in his life, what you need to do in yours. It's, it's such a cool thing. but. Kind of to your point, just wanted to add this little bit toward the end of our talk here is that what I found is a lot of people go, wow, I want that kind of relationship, but I don't want to do the work to get there because the work is all on me now. It starts with me. And a lot of people can't go there or don't want to go there or don't want to spend that time. And that's okay. They'll come to it if or when they are ready. And the only thing I can say on my end is that I spent a long time working on the mental and emotional and spiritual ends of me. And it doesn't matter what horse I go and work with. It's like there. I don't have to keep doing it. It's not hard. It's become part of, part of my life or how I am. So that's the only rainbow at the end of the road or whatever that I can offer people that if you want the sacred space, 
if you want something that's really, really different and really, really deep, you'll put in the time it takes to get there. If you want something superficial, you'll get to us wherever you go with it. And that may be fine. That may be all you're looking for. It's just a superficial connection. But I'm just there for the people that go, oh, I really want that sacred space. And there's a reason I called the book that. Beautiful name. And there's no shortcuts to anything you do that's worthwhile. It's cheaper than therapy and it's better than therapy because it's not just you that's sorting yourself out. You're sorting everything that's connected to you. So your family, your friends and your animals. You know, like I said, people would do most things if they thought it would change something with the horses. It's there. It's there for them to do. It's capable of doing. And the tiniest things sometimes. But that brings me back to seeing the subtle, like you said, you notice the trees when they're changing colour. You notice the weather changing. In, and to, when I'm describing communication, sometimes that special place, what you're talking about, it's almost like the calm before the storm. You're with the horse and it's just this beautiful, soft stillness. With that is the most purest communication. It's, it's beautiful. And your horses know that you're there for that reason, for no other reason than just to be with them. Because you can have a horse and you can see them twice a day, three times a day. You can do the feeding, you can do the grooming. But it's not the same as just being in the space with your animal for no reason, no expectations. And for me, it's my greatest grounding. I don't sit and meditate because that's my meditation. As well as pooping is my meditation, I might add. It's great for inspiration. I will sit there and especially in summer, I mean it's always great in summer, but even in winter I will normally go into the shelter, take a flask of tea and listen to them munching the hay. And that's sometimes when I get information, when I get channeling, when I pick up on on two because she's my horse and in this emotional side. It's not quite the same as when I go see a client. Similar to you, it's on. It's like we're in communication mode. You have all your baggage with you when it's your own animals. So I appreciate how hard it is when I talk to somebody, but I try and give them a few little things to do, a few little exercises. And the thing that I would recommend, apart from anything else, is just go sit in the field with your horse and just watch them. And just watch them. They know that you're listening to them and you're there and they can be the other end of the field. But they're still picking up on you and they're listening and they're just waiting to see why you're there. And then that's the start of it. Or sometimes I get my clients just to put their hands on the horses and just to breathe. And then you can see the horses relaxing. And you can see the clients relaxing. And it's beautiful. And for me, that's beautiful because they can feel that and they are doing that and they're experiencing that. And it's just empowering for them and the horse it's just a nice thing to do and to be able to teach people that was absolutely fascinating and I don't know what you meant about the end of the um interview because I want to carry on I just go with the flow so what have you got coming up Susie Um, what have you got planned I know you've got a YouTube channel that you want to expand on because you've had it for a while but you want to utilize it a little bit more so I think what my book was about it is the basic introduction to this work. It was kind of when I wrote it as the way to move into the bigger mainstream horse world in a scientific way and kind of a gentle 
introduction to this kind of thought pattern, this kind of work. And I know other people have been doing it, but I just felt like it needed this really, uh, maybe more for me than anybody else's. Like I had to present it in a very scientific way so that I could feel like I could defend it, everything I was doing, because I got a lot of pushback over the years. And in the the world that I live in over here, and it's like, oh, that's just silly fairy stuff. And I'm like, that's really funny because my last name means fairy in being like, so I'm like, oh, of course I'm doing fairy stuff. And I thought, hey, yeah, I felt like it was this year, especially was getting in a broader audience and really more so than actually doing the work per se is the demonstration of the work that people could actually not just read about it, but see it happen in real time with their own horses, with other horses. And to see that, wow, what you're talking about is not just something one or two people can do. It's every horse that comes in or every person can experience a change and they can see this working at a a different level. And I wanted to build more enthusiasm for it in that respect. Like I know it seems out there for a lot of people and for me and probably for you doing it for a very long time, it's part of who I am and what I do. So when people say, oh, that can't work. And I'm thinking, how do you even go there? Of course it works. I've been doing this 30 years. Of course it works, you know? So I really wanted to get people exposed and get people, because I'm working on a word of mouth more than anything else, is that I wanted them to talk to other people and say, here's my story. Here's what happened. I, I started a Facebook group, Sacred Spaces, Sacred Wisdom, and, and people can share their experiences with this work and what they've seen change in themselves or their horses. And we can encourage each other in that, that space. So, cause I know a lot of people call me, it's like, wow, everybody thinks I'm so weird at my barn or whatever. It's like, you know, you've got other weirdos out there. You're fine. I want them to know like they don't have to just go start to question themselves and what they're doing and what they feel in that hurt is the right thing. And then to be, have bombarded by all these other ideas like, well, you know, you ought to be doing this instead. You ought to be doing that. And I've been there. So I know what it feels like when people constantly criticize you for, haven't you noticed that your horse is doing that? Well, yes, I have, but I've got a plan and I'm working on it. And no, I don't want to do the way you fix it. With that comes a whole nother set of things. I've got the Facebook group and then I want to expand a little more. And I guess I went out thinking, not sure anybody's interested because so many years it'd been just a small group of people and yeah, they were interested. It was all good, but it's just really digestible to a larger audience. I'm beginning to see, yes, people are ready and yes, people are searching and therefore I must expand what I'm doing. So I'm going to write a handbook that goes with my book that I wrote and it will give you some more exercises and things to do for yourself and your horse so that you can further along in your process. And I'll just do some classes probably online, but I want them to all be in person where I'm actually speaking to the people in the class. There may be some that are available where you could just listen, but I want that relationship building piece of this not to get lost. Because 
learning how to have relationships, learning how to speak through things and creating bonds with other people. This is what our world is missing. And that's where my work has many different layers. It may look like a horse training, may look like a people training. It's all sorts of different layers to everything I do. And every single exercise that I give somebody has a component for the horse, but in built in is a component for the person. So it's a dual lesson. And it's always very simple. It's maybe three things you have to do, but they're very profound, deep change can happen with just doing those things. So I I really want to focus on giving people those things and then supporting them out. We can write about something and I'll have to do videos that say, here's what it looks like in practice. Here's what this looks like. So you can see where you're going. And maybe the things that go wrong along the way when you're going there. That's missing from a lot of the videos. It's like, well, that worked perfectly for them. Didn't work at all for me when I went to try it, right? <laughs> you know, it's important because you learn from that. If you try something, if you start to analyze when you do. So for me, if something happens, it's always me I look at. I always look at me first, always now. It wasn't always that way, but the more I've developed myself and, and, and my work, and like you said, it doesn't just involve the horses. It's a knock-on effect to everything else. But I always look at me and I did a lot of work. In, uh, I'm very lucky that I've got friends that work in, in different areas of, of skills. And one lady, she was an animal communicator, but now she works with mine because she understands how that affects our body, how it makes us ill. Oh, bless. Susan, she's popped off. Maybe there was a break in the connection. Just bear with us, folks. I think there's been a break. Oh, here she goes. There isn't that interesting. It was like, did we exceed our time limit or something? And it just like shut me off. It, it was so startling to be ousted. Honestly, Susie, I didn't kick you out. I promise. <laughs> and I've been a good girl and I haven't touched any of the buttons. I promise. This is so funny. Maybe just a lesson for people. I think as you work into this energy spectrum, I often have difficulties with technology. and. I've gotten, so I have microphones sometimes at my clinics and it's wired. So I don't even have to rely on internet to keep the connection. And I remember one clinic and I tested it at home. Everything's perfect. It's very simple to, to put together. I get there and no matter what I did, the microphone wouldn't work. Like, oh my gosh. I finally, there was a, a technical person standing next to me and she goes, well, I looked at it all. It's all set up perfectly. I have no idea. And then I go, I love you microphone, but I'm going to have to switch to another one. And it came on and I looked at her and we were standing probably 15 feet away from it. And I go, okay, well, we won't talk about this one. I just need to tell it. I love it. So I love you technology. <laughs> so please don't kick me out again. <laughs> That's funny. We was talking about my friend that helps um, oh, with mind. I, yeah. And yeah. So I'm going to share a little bit, but it's not personal. So it's not, um, deep stuff so we'd be having a session because she used me as a guinea pig as well as case studies before she asked the question because I'm aware of how my body is reacting and I don't mean that in an egotistical way I focus on me like I said if something goes wrong what am I feeling what am I doing what's my energy like and she was just about to ask me something and I went I know the answer to that it's no and she's why I said because my body is shifting in this chair and it's like no I don't want to answer that question thoughts coming up it's like no I'm not comfortable with that question so my body's saying no right okay that's interesting so she did the next bit and what she does is she talks around it it's almost like you're distracting the brain so you can get 
to the part that needs to hear. And I loved it. I found it fascinating. And it was through that that I was able to get back on my horse because I'd lost my confidence. And it didn't matter who helped me. I knew there was something in me. And it wasn't to do with horses, but it was coming out in that, you know, it's the looking after yourself because if something happens to you, who's going to look after your horse? Who's going to look after you? How are you going to um, live and all this stuff? So we dealt with that and you don't have to revisit any traumas. It's just rewiring the hard drive. So yeah, so that was amazing and that did so much. It helped me big time. So that's what we was talking about for the blip. <laughs> Somebody did actually ask a question if you was going to an area, Pacific Northwest Washington State. I have a few people up in that area that are trying to bribe me into coming over there. There's a handful of people and I will definitely give it consideration here. I usually have people get a group of people together and then call me and say, we want the clinic or we'd like to do something. So it's not that I'm advertising for clinics and putting out flyers and saying I'm going to be in this area. Like this year, I went to California about two and a half weeks, and I only had one thing scheduled, and I worked for two and a half weeks straight. And it is, it's just going with the flow. It's like word of mouth. People knew I was there. That's like, can you come do this here? It's like, sure, I'll go there. So I like living in that way where there's not so much structure. And I can go with the flow and go, yeah, that would be great. We'll just go do that tomorrow. Perfect. Okay. So I'm trying to live in the flow the way I've always thought was impossible because people say if you don't structure every minute and if you don't plan all this stuff then nothing will go right and I'm going wait I really have an overall plan and my plan is I want to stay really relaxed and fun and have a good time and that's my goal and so it's funny how things just work into it that just fit that goal of that I'm going to be happy go with the flow not have too much pressure and it's like, wow, this is interesting because it's a different way of manifesting, essentially, where you don't try to control every little aspect. Like, I know if I if I had this or if I had that thing and I manifest that thing in my life, then I will feel this way. So I'm going the opposite direction. I'm going to manifest feeling this way and then see what wonderful surprises show up in my life because I did that. And they're more fun because I didn't even plan them. And I couldn't have planned so many things that happened that were so unbelievably amazing. Like if I had tried to manifest them through visualization, it's like, I'm going to get this thing and have this thing happen. I would never have planned the things that ended up happening. It's like, this is beyond my wildest dreams. Whose life am I living? It's because I changed my focus into not needing that thing, but just wanting to feel like I'm relaxed and I'm happy and I'm like working life this way and it's cool. Dr. Judith Dispenza, I'm not sure if I've pronounced that right. So again, synchronicities, I found his podcast came up when I needed them and he was matching what my friend was doing with the work with me. So I found that fascinating and he would say it's that feeling of contentment and joy and if you harness that, that is what attracts more of that. The more you feel that, the more you attract it. And it, there was a, a phrase I was just, just about to say. People would say, you show me and I'll believe it. And it, the phrase should be, but you believe it and I will show you. And that's just a simple phrase, but that's how it is. You have to take a leap of faith sometimes and just 
believe in yourself and believe things will happen, but let go of the outcome. Right. Another lady, a lady that you know, and she will say, no intention, attention, no tension. So you know who that is, don't you? <laughs> and that's a good way of putting it as well. Yeah. Because it's like going to a restaurant. You go into the restaurant and you look at the beautiful menu and you think, oh, crikey, I, there's so much there. I'd have that and that, please. You ask the waiter and he goes off and he goes, right, I'll be back shortly. And then you carry on enjoying your, your company, your friends, and you have a chat and your beautiful meal appears. You don't go, right, I'd like that, please. And they go through the door and you're right, where's my meal? Okay, I'm really looking forward to that meal. Where is that meal? You know it's being cooked and being prepared. So you just have to be patient and wait for it. And maybe that is what we were talking about before about our life purpose and everything. It, it feels like things had to simmer for a while and they had to cook until all the ingredients were there and they were cooked to perfection before it was ready for human consumption. If people, if they don't want to hear, then it, it doesn't matter what you talk about, it's, it's not going to get heard. There has to be almost like a horse. The focus on the front and the rears at the front, but sometimes they're actually listening to other things as well. Right. And once you get the human part doing that and then think, wait a minute, I can focus there, but I can still feel that. And as I'm saying, that's how the communication is for me. It's almost like it's coming in the sideway. And then it flows through. So I'm looking, I'm paying attention, but all of a sudden the communications come in there and I can describe it. And it's magical actually. And I, I don't think about it, but it's magical uh, how it happens. But everybody can do that. Everybody's intuitive. It's whether they believe that's what they're getting. So they need guidance, such as from yourself, that understands that because that's where your world has taken you for a reason. To help people, you're certainly going to help me, even though I communicate, that's my work. It's different. I can do that, but it's different with my own horse. And I want to be in that place. And as I'm saying, I can feel that motion coming up. I want that place. And I can feel it now. And it, it wants to be there because that's what's flowing. It's about not scared of being vulnerable, being authentic, showing who you are, and, and just taking that first step. However small that step is, that first step for you is whatever that feels like. And then the next step, you don't have to do it all at once, but it's the intention. That's what you want. And that opens the doorway. Absolutely. That's beautifully said. Yes. Thank you, Susie. Thank you. I have really, really enjoyed tonight. I was so looking forward to it. I was so excited and I'm very grateful for all my guests all of them and I've loved doing all the interviews um, and it doesn't matter whether they're known or not or, or famous that's not the reason I'm doing this it's the connection and I truly know that in my heart that's why I'm I'm being drawn to certain people and I'm very humbled that people say yes and I'm very grateful for their time so from my heart to yours Susie thank you so much well, I'm humbled and grateful that you had me here too. Back to you again, like doing to spread the word and to help people understand there's different ways and there's different perspectives. And I think we're all in that same place of where our heart's going. And there's a lot of people out there. I think people are wanting more, but the appetite for it, for change. And I think on a global level, it's, it's meant to be because you can't 
carry on down the route we was going because it's hurting too many people, hurting too many beings. So it has to change. And they need us to help change that, the horse kingdom, the animal kingdom. So thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. I love y'all. Thank you so much for having me. What a lovely, lovely lady. I generally mean that. It's absolute pleasure. Thank you, everybody that popped on. I am so grateful that you came to say hi. Um, I know most of them are Susie's friends, but you know what? I don't care. <laughs> it's lovely to see you. Beautiful, beautiful lady. I look forward to her next book, but I first got to read this one. And I'm hoping that she'll on with her presence again in the future. I would really, really like that. But I know she's a busy lady. So thank you. Take care and bye for now. You've been listening to Ronnie King at Equine Voices. Thank you for listening and speak to you soon.